0: Good morning, everyone. So let's just start off. If you ask any resident, teach any fellow, what is the fundamental principle of Crohn's surgery? Okay, and this applies particularly in patients who have Crohn's colitis, where we know about a quarter of the Crohn's patients will have, will need surgery for isolated colonic disease. We're not talking about proctitis as well here. The fundamental principle is surgery is performed for symptom and disease control rather than curing the intestinal manifestations. This is medical student 101, okay? And therefore, you have to practice bowel economy at all times. Sounds good. And if you look at the surgical options that we have available for isolated Crohn's colitis, you can potentially do a TPC and a brachial ostomy, and potentially with patients who have, let's say, active rectal disease, uh, I'm sorry, active perianal disease. You can also do a total colectomy, which is what Scott is going to recommend us do, or you can do a segmental colectomy, which satisfies the bowel economy principle of Crohn's disease surgery, the fundamental principle. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Any questions? Okay. So I think I just finished, but all kidding aside, you want some data. Okay, let's have some data now that actually goes through this. So let's look at the short-term and long-term outcomes, which is what we always like to do comparing segmental versus total colectomy. In terms of short-term outcomes, there have been a number of meta-analyses that have been done done on this. This is the most recent one that was done in colorectal disease from last year. There's an Italian group that put this together. And you can see, if you look at the, the, the forest plot, you can actually see that even though every single one of the studies crossed the one line, which we know obviously the confidence intervals therefore are not statistically significant, if you look at the overall effect, the P equals 0.02, but the, the question is, do we really believe this result? Do we really believe that patients who have a segmental colectomy, which is the shown, shown on the right, okay, or a subtotal colectomy, actually have better outcomes than a patient with a segmental colectomy? It really kind of makes no sense physiologically or certainly surgically. Most of us don't believe it. Mean, it just makes intuitive sense that the more you take out, the potential higher risk is. So. Therefore, when you look at a forest plot like this, again, looking at all the studies that have confidence intervals crossing one with the meta-analysis showing a statistical significance, I think you have to really wonder whether or not, in fact, this this trend that we're seeing favoring subtotal colectomy is, in fact, really true. What about in terms of long-term outcomes? Well, I think most of us would agree, without even any data, that functional outcomes for patients who have segmental colectomies are better than patients who have total colectomies, just more bowel around, more reserve in terms of bowel habits and quality of life. But what about other more important or, some, or similarly important uh, long-term outcomes, such as disease recurrence, or obviously the ultimate problem, which is what most IB, in fact, every Crohn's patient is worried about, is the requirement for a stoma. So if you look at a disease recurrence after segmental colectomy, this is a nice meta-analysis that Amy put together uh, from earlier this year. And you can look at all the data, and I think one of the things that you can see, is there a pointer here? Yeah. One of the things that you can see is that there's a lot of recurrence in the colon, you can see over here, let me get the pointer here. And the eventual need for a stoma is not uncommon. So, my goodness, this sounds terrible. Okay, that's a disease recurrence after patients who have segmental colectomy. So, let's look now and compare this to the data with disease recurrence after total colectomy. And guess what? High incidence of disease recurrence. Okay. And also, the eventual need for a stoma is also not uncommon. So even though you have or at least a concept here is to do a total colectomy might be better in fact the incidence of disease recurrence and the need for a stoma is actually the same so if you put together this data this again is another this is the same Italian study that put together the a forest plot or a meta analysis looking at the the endpoint now being surgical recurrence okay if you look at this comparing patients with subtotal colectomy sorry uh, segmental versus total colectomies you can see there's actually no difference So now this is yet another argument while segmental colectomy would be better than total colectomy and at the same time satisfying that principle of of trying to preserve as much bowel as you can. Now what about the eventual need for a stoma? This similarly actually favors segmental colectomy. You can imagine, obviously, that patients have less disease. The ability or the uh, ultimate endpoint of of that, uh, if it's that, that bad, is end up with a stoma. Those patients would have a lower incidence of stoma formation. So are there any indications at all for total colectomy? Okay. Well, patients who have fulminant colitis, and most of us would agree that not to leave any of the colon behind in a situation like that, I think we would take the entire colon out. Uh, perforation, hemorrhage, you don't know exactly where it's coming from. I think there is an indication to do a total colectomy in patients who are having a, a segmental colectomy, for example, otherwise would be eligible for a segmental colectomy if they're having a dysplasia. You don't want to obviously leave at-risk mucosa. There's obviously surgical considerations and the surgeons in the room regarding blood supply and patients who require a, 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 a resections of the mid to distal trans, transverse colon in regards to blood supply and obviously patient compliance issue whether or not they're going to follow up with you and whether or not they're going to continue on their medication so those patients potentially might be indications for total colectomy so i'm going to make this sweet and i'm going to make it short segmental is better because of the potentials although the data shows that the short term outcomes if you believe the data is better for total colectomy i don't i think that it kind of just makes intuitive sense it certainly has advantages in terms of long term outcome in terms of functional results Disease recurrence and requirement of stoma, and at the same time satisfies the bowel economy principle that all of us guide, or at least all of us that guides what we do in Crohn's surgery. And just to, to the final line, the final slides. If you actually look, this is the practice guidelines that were in DCR three years ago. And if you actually look at what it says here, it says patients with colonic disease and rectal sparing that requires elective surgery may undergo segmental colectomy for single segment disease, which is what we're referring to. Okay or total colectomy for extensive disease. It's very interesting that the head author for that is my opponent, Scott Strong.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Phil, for staying on time, actually being uh, uh, short and sweet. And uh, the next speaker is Dr. Scott Strong from uh, uh, Northwestern uh, University in Chicago.
2: Thank you, Alessandro, and uh, I really appreciate the uh, the privilege of the podium. And just remember, I was assigned the topic; I didn't select the topic. So, yeah, you know, this is the guideline that came out in November 2015, and it's pretty clear that uh, that we're saying that uh, patients with colonic disease and rectal sparing uh, that require surgery, if uh, if there's a single segment, can undergo a segmental colectomy, um, and then well. Uh, helped to author these ECHO guidelines that just uh, more recently came out. And basically they say that um, if surgery is necessary for localized colonic disease, less than a third of the colon, uh, then resection of the only affected part is preferable and that segmental colectomy can be considered for patients with um, two separate segments of the colon affected. So two separate uh, segmental colectomies done in tandem. And so these are the two operations we're basically talking about. And, you know, what I would argue is that in in most patients, the amount that you need to take out is already dictated by the disease, not surgeon preference. And so when you look at the literature, you really need to caution yourself about keeping that in the back of your mind, that there are very few patients that you actually have wiggle room and and choice as to what it is that you're going to do. I think most of us will agree that uh, for a patient that has um, a single segment of disease and rectal sparing, no neoplasia, that you're going to do a segmental colectomy. Total colectomy, you have to have a patient that has adequate sphincter function. They have to have rectal sparing. Um, I would argue that um, if they have a significant segment of small bowel disease, either in the past or presently, they need as much water-absorbing capacity of the colon as possible, and so you're going to push the envelope and save the colon as much as you can in that setting. And in neoplasia, kind of the default, the standard of care, is to do a total proctocolectomy. If there's never been any rectal inflammation, complete rectal sparing, you might argue for being able to do a colectomy and ileoproctostomy. Um, So where does the controversy really kind of come? Well, it's in the patient that doesn't have small bowel disease, has good sphincter function, has disease in two segments, um, and no neoplasia, and obviously their rectum is in good health. So it's a very small group of patients that we're really talking about here as to what the best operation uh, could be. And so this is a study that Peter Cataldo, one of Neil's former partners, uh, did, and it's, it's kind of interesting because what they did is they polled patients as to what was too important to them in their outcomes, and then they did an early kind of quality of life outcome. And they had about 150 patients that they enrolled in the study, and you can't see because of the uh, the uh, font, but the most important thing to them was not having a permanent stoma. And as you go down the line, it was having safe surgery. And uh, then bowel frequency, bowel problems was after that. And all the way at the end, they uh, the third to the right column, the least important was a laparoscopic procedure, followed by the appearance of your incision, and lastly was incision length. So some of the things that we see continually reported in outcome studies have no significance to the patients. And when you look at early quality of life, Um, In this uh, bar graph, you know, and these were uh, patients who had both malignant and benign disease, their early quality of life, um, what they found was the only thing that negatively impacted that early uh, recovery quality of life was the presence of a stoma. So total proctocolectomy, this is what they're all trying to avoid. They don't want that permanent stoma. And it's, it's really dictated by, as I said before, the patient's disease. If they have significant anal perineal disease, they're at, at great risk for needing a proctocolectomy uh, when you're doing any kind of uh, surgery for their for colonic disease. If they have rectal involvement, likely they're going to need a proctocolectomy. Neoplasia, as we said uh, oftentimes, and if their synctors don't work well, especially if they've got significant colonic disease, they're looking at a, a permanent stoma. So, and we already saw these uh, meta-analyses here, you know, argue what you want. The literature is, is there, and it suggests that the operative morbidity is greater with a segmental colectomy than what we see with a, a total colectomy. Why, I can't explain, but, but it is. I mean, I worry about ileo-rectal anastomosis much more than I worry about ileocolic anastomoses. anastomosis, but, um, you know, the, the data is the data. Surgical recurrence, there's no difference, um, and even in the more modern era where we have biologics as of 1999, we see that there's no difference in surgical recurrence. Um, overall recurrence, however you define that, um, really there, there was no difference. But what I would do is I would hearken back to a previous meta-analysis that was done by Paris Texas, back in 2007, and what they showed was, yeah, there was no difference in surgical or overall recurrence, but... The, the surgical recurrence happened four and a half years earlier in the segmental resection group compared to the total colectomy group. So while there's no difference in the overall incidence, how rapidly it occurs, there is a dramatic difference. So, you know, we're looking at all this in a very skewed and convoluted way uh, because there's so much certain bias that we see here. And when you're looking at, at overall outcome as far as stool frequency and quality of life and things like that, it's not fair to compare a segmental colectomy to a total colectomy and Crohn's disease because you're doing it for different reasons. But we do have an analogous group that we can look at, and that's our patients with Lynch syndrome. And so what we have is that uh, this is a study that came out of the Netherlands, and they had uh, 103 patients, 52 and 51 in each group, and they compared... Uh, functional outcomes. And what they found was that in patients, as we expected, in patients that have had an ileo anastomosis, they have more stool frequency um, and, uh, and there's a greater stool problems. But when we look at SF36, their quality of life, and this is with 11 years of follow-up, there was no difference between the two groups. When they looked at the ERTC quality of life questionnaire with 38 different questions, what they found was that um, there were uh, more stool problems or defecation problems uh, in the individuals that had, had an ileo anastomosis. For some reason, there were more sexual uh, uh, disorders in the males that had a segmental colectomy, but in essence, there was no difference between the two groups in all the other uh, parameters. So in summary... Uh, Colectomy and ileoproctostomy is generally avoided for patients with Crohn's disease in one colonic segment or individuals with long lengths of small bowel disease. So we're not arguing that patient. But we do know that total colectomy, at least based on the literature that we have available, is at less risk for operative complications compared to segmental colectomy. And while surgical and overall uh, recurrence are, are comparable, they tended to favor Uh, the patients that had had a total colectomy. But what's more important is that that recurrence occurs quite a bit earlier in the segmental colectomy patient compared to the uh, total colectomy patient. And lastly, as, as expected, stool frequency is greater after a total colectomy, but the overall quality of life is comparable between the two procedures. So with that, I'll conclude and I guess welcome
1: questions. So we are a little bit ahead of schedule. We uh, um, Perhaps we will start the third debate a little bit earlier since there are three speakers for that. Uh, any questions from the audience? So it, it was... It, yes. Oh. It was uh, very well said that the extent of resection is dictated by the involvement of the of the disease. And we left on purpose out the patients with perieno disease because I think the... Uh, the tricky part is when you are dealing with multi-segment isolated colonic disease with perianal Crohn's disease. In, in our publication, we showed that more than one segment and involvement of perianal disease with, without any uh, small bowel disease, a total proctocolectomy offers less recurrence and uh, the ability to win these patients off medication. That's something that we haven't uh, really discussed in your presentation. And a recent meta-analysis also confirmed that isolated colonic disease without small bowel involvement, there is a 16% recurrence in the small bowel after a permanent uh, ileostomy or total So this is something to, to keep in mind in that specific group of patients that we haven't
3: really uh, addressed. But there is a, a question from Dr. Uh, you. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. enjoyed the talk. So the question I have is, are there any techniques? How, let me ask you, how low would you go in the rectum in a Crohn's colitis to do a colorectal or, uh, you know, the small bowel rectal anastomosis? Or do you guys have any techniques or alternatives that may be an option to consider? Because that's really the key thing. These patients, as you both articulated, they want to avoid a permanent back. So what's the... Uh, acceptable normal rectum to do a straight anastomosis if you cannot what are the options that you may consider did you understand my question
1: yeah we can go down the panel so Phil can start them I think a lot of it also will depend on rectal
0: compliance okay um I mean, you'd like to obviously preserve as much as you can. I think you start going beyond the rectal sigmoid junction, basically tinea, anything below that, you should start thinking either I'm not doing the right thing here or potentially even consider it, depending on the scenario, an ileal pouch rectal anastomosis, which you can do particularly in the low ones. So that's something I would use, but I think... In some degree, you've got to know, obviously, the degree of rectal inflammation, whether they've had it before, whether or not, in fact, there's any compliance of the rectum. Obviously, you don't want to do an ileo-rectal when they don't have any rectal compliance. The functional results will be awful in that situation. So I don't know if you want to add anything, Scott. Okay.
2: Yeah, so uh, one of the quick and dirty tests you can do as far as rectal compliance in addition to endoscopy, which um, is just to give them 150-milliliter saline enema, and it was shown years ago that if they can hold 150-milliliter saline enema for five minutes, they'll do okay with an ileo-rectal anastomosis. But I think what Feza and uh, and Phil are alluding to is this ileo-pouch rectal anastomosis, which we've done, um, and Feza and I published on this, in selected individuals where they had upper rectal disease. And uh, you are going down to the mid-rectum of the peritoneal reflection, and uh, you create a short... Uh, maybe 8-centimeter, 10-centimeter pouch that sits on top of the mid-rectum at the level of the peritoneal reflection. And uh, it, it's a good operation for, for Crohn's disease as well as individuals that have uh, synchronous tumors of the rectosigmoid or upper rectum and, um, and some other, you know, like uh, mid-gut tumor. Um, but they have good functional outcomes. Their disease recurrence is acceptable um, again, we typically do it in the uh, the well motivated uh, younger patient, where they're trying to avoid a stoma, understanding that there's a high likelihood of recurrence. But in the the follow-up that we had, it, it was a, a, a recurrence rate that was comparable to what we were seeing with other approaches. So it, it seems like it's a very good alternative. And um, typically, I haven't diverted these patients uh, when when doing this this short pouch rectal anastomosis.
0: Yeah, ben, no, I was just going to say that there's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of different situations. You know that one sees do they have perianal disease? Do they have ileal disease? And uh, for me is that if, just for the short uh, answer with respect to um, if the rectum is involved, meaning the disease extends to the rectum, I'm not willing to do an ileum to mid-rectal anastomosis per se, but in the absence of ileal disease, and the absence of anal disease, I agree with Scott that I would talk to somebody about, or I would offer them a short pouch, but you know, in that situation. But as you know, there's so many different permutations uh, on the theme. I think it's principle-based and case-by-case.
1: Case.
4: And... Uh, can, you, can I ask you about the short pouch? Um, how do you that do that technically? I think that you should do a hand-soon anastomosis in order to avoid tapering, uh, let's say, in the on the anastomosis. Uh, you don't want to have, a, let's say... A, a pouch on top of a a stapled anastomosis, and then below that you have a sort of ampulla. So you you do a hand-sewn anastomosis, a white hand-sewn anastomosis, if you do a let's say pouch rectal anastomosis in Crohn's. You understand what I mean?
0: Well, I mean, you'd want to try to preserve theoretically as much rectum as you can. So if you have more rectum to preserve, it would be very high potentially to do a hand-sewn anastomosis if you're in the you know, five centimeters out. You can do it. I just think technically it's easier to try to do that stapled.
4: Yeah, but then you have in the middle of your new reservoir, you have a, let's say, you have a waste. Yes. Yes. A tapering, which is not, I think, beneficial for the reservoir.
0: There are some people who believe you should just do an ileal pouch anal asmosis in that scenario and not keep the residual rectum for the concerns you have that it may not be functional. Even though you're leaving some of the rectum, it may not be functional and work well. And
4: it, the problem in these patients is that if they have Crohn's disease and no, no small bowel lesions, then you would do an, an adrenal pouch. But most of these patients, they had already shown that they had uh, yep. small bowel localization. And if they really want to avoid a stoma and there's disease in the upper rectum, then you have the only solution is to do with...
2: Yeah, so, so what you're describing is more of a theoretical problem than what we see when we scope these people postoperatively, operatively And uh, it, you see a nice pouch. And, uh, you know, I, I know that uh, oftentimes with the ileo-rectal anastomosis, you'll see kind of a constriction at that. But with this pouch rectal, I haven't seen
4: that. I've, I've, I've done two of these cases staples. And the waste is not. I, I think the waste is not is compromising the function of hmm. what you meant to do, making a new reservoir. The
2: question,
4: so I, the
0: question was: It ischemic, you know, as opposed to a functional problem. You know, in terms of the un, un, as opposed to inherent to the surgery. whether well, no, in fact that was just some technical thing you had at the time, low grade ischemia stricture.
2: I, I think sometimes if the uh, the stapler donor remains intact and incorporated into the tissue, that that can create a long term type of uh, problem. But if it's if if that stapler donut, if the staple line is broken, um, then uh, then it can potentially lead to expansion of
1: that that anastomosis. You guys have. if uh, they answered the uh, question? Yeah, it's, I,
4: I doubt if you have a stapled anastomosis, if it will be a, a circular stapled anastomosis, that that it can expand in the end towards, let's say. Uh, the, the body which uh, uh, a neorectum should have. So that's why I'm asking should you advise to do a hands-on anastomosis, a white anastomosis uh, or uh, which is obviously less safe than a stapled
3: anastomosis? I, I honestly meant to ask that question to create a discussion so I didn't go. It was going to go this far. So the point, I think you have a very valid point it depends. If the rectum is sick, it doesn't make sense to hooking the pouch to the rectum. You're absolutely correct. Those are the patients they get into a obstructive defecation and they get a Crohn's proctitis. But if the rectum is normal, but it's short, it doesn't have the compliance and the points that you guys are articulated. Adding that small pouch can be a value. I, I think that's the two different scenarios: being remnant rectum normal or not. At least that's what the experience that you referred, Scott, that showed us. I just wanted to add that.
1: Well, the, um, these patients with a short normal rectum and no perianal disease, I personally don't see many of those, so I'm, I'm wondering how uh, uh, common that is. But uh, the, uh, the issue of uh, uh, stasis at this anastomosis, no matter how you do it, is I think is very important. Obviously, a hands-on <clears throat> pouch rectal anastomosis in a short rectum becomes quite challenging, quite uh, quite difficult. And if uh, if you're able to do a hands-on you probably have enough rectum to just do a, an ileo rectal So I, uh, you know, it, it, it's uh, it's really a small small number of patients we're we're talking about, um, and um, uh, I, I don't think ischemia, since we're talking about upper rectum, there shouldn't be a lot of tension and uh, normal small bowel and, 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 a, and a pouch shouldn't, schema shouldn't be a problem. I'm wondering if perhaps it's also the size of the stapler that was used to, to construct the anastomosis initially may play a role. I don't. I, I, I wouldn't know. Well, it's an actual
4: problem for me. I have a, I have a patient who has an ileorectal anastomosis and he has uh, a little bit of disease in the neoterminal ileum and dysplasia in the upper part of the rectum. And it's a young guy and he doesn't want to have a stoma. So the only way to solve that is to do a tailored uh, transaction of rectum below the dysplasia and put a small pouch on top of that. And um, and then I don't want to have a waste doing a cross stapling anastomosis. Do you, do you do a double stapled, or do you do a, a
2: double purse string anastomosis?
4: Well, in, in this case, I would prefer to do, uh, because it, if you uh, transect the rectum in the in the middle of the ampulla, mm-hmm. it's very wide. And if you want to put a pouch on, a small pouch on that, and you do that double stapling or simple, single stapling, you will for sure have a waist. Okay. It's only in the top of the rectum. Um, yeah, uh, I, yes, it's, but it's, and it's, it, you're, you, you're, it's very unusual to put a couch in a Crohn's patient, but he might be a candidate. Yes, so we counseled him with that. Of course, he needs extensive uh, surveillance for the remaining part of the rectum, but he chooses to have this situation. And we, and we looked at it, so we're going to look at uh, the rectum before the transaction with our dysplasia gastroenterologist. Who do metal in blue to, uh, to make a tailored transection of the rectum below the, the dangerous area because the distal rectum is fine, but it's a very specific place.
1: Yeah,
2: I, I would really caution people about leaving the rectum in place in someone that has dysplasia anywhere in the colon or rectum, but especially in the rectum. Um, it's, just
4: it's, it's shared decision-making with his patient, and he yep. knows the risks. Yep.
2: And, uh, and because, as we know, it's a field effect, and we've got pretty robust literature that so shows the multicentric nature of this dysplasia. So, uh,
1: so I think we can uh, conclude with uh, some uh, agreement on this uh, uh, topic, believe it or not. Uh, I think the uh, uh, practice guidelines that uh, uh, Dr. Strong uh, uh, authored on the, uh, uh, from ASCRS are... Um, what I would uh, side uh, with uh, one segment disease, segmental colectomy, uh, more than one segment disease with rectal sparing and good rectum, and we discussed plenty what that means, uh, subtotal with an iliorectal. Thank you very much.